0: This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for
1: Agricultural Development. I'm Brian Thompson. and co-presenting this edition in the run-up to the Food System Summit. I'm Miguel Turan, joining you via Zoom from Madrid in Spain. In this month's edition, we're focusing on the first-ever
0: UN Food Systems Summit and we'll be getting the take on that from IFAD President Gilbert Hungbu and farmers living in developing countries. Speaking to DEVEX's Editor-in-Chief Raj Kumar, Gilbert talks about what he hopes will be achieved, how small-scale farmers are being put at the heart of the process and what is the call to action for leaders attending the summit.
1: Staying with food systems, we hear from Etherin Cousin, one of the official champions of the UN's Food Systems Summit, CEO and President of Food Systems for the Future and ex-head of the World Food Programme. Also we'll have Jonathan Davies, Lead on Agriculture at the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Both of them will be talking about how we can make food systems work better for people and nature.
0: Coming up, there's news on aquaponics, how it can be combined with vertical farming, and the latest on technological innovation in pig farming from China. We talk to one of our newest Recipes for Change chefs, Roy Caceres, from Colombia, and look at what inspires him. Plus, the fine people at Too Good To Go tell us how we can all use their app to cut down
1: on food waste. And there's the final part of a Rural Voices series produced by Michelle Porter and Francesco Manetti. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. What do you think about our stories and who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch with us at podcast at eFAD.org. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform and please rate us. This is Farms Food
0: Future As part of its coverage of the Food Systems Summit, the news agency Devex, in partnership with IFAD, among others, has been looking at the main issues around food systems. They've been talking to experts both inside and outside the planning process and set the stage for what success looks like for the summit.
1: DEVEX Editor-in-Chief and founder Raj Kumar spoke with IFAD's president, Gilbert Hungbo, and also Ruramisu Mashumba, youth lead from the Zimbabwe Farmers Union. Raj started out by asking Gilbert what he hopes the Food System Summit will achieve.
2: One thing that is very clear is to create a momentum, a momentum because we know that the ODA for Ag has been stalling at 5% or so for, for, for years. And that an investment and uh, rural miso will certainly confer investment in ag still looks like not the best. Um, people don't see that as the most exciting thing. So for us, we want to really create a momentum, which is one uh, secondly, it's important um, serving the rural uh, the rural community and the smallholders uh, who, are, who produce in Africa, for example, eighty percent of the uh, all the uh, calorie uh, intake. We want to make sure that they are at the center of the debate and making sure that all the failures, not only market failures, but all the failures throughout the value chain are identified and provide for. Thirdly, we, um, we're looking at that also from the perspective not only in terms of food security, but the perspective also for food being uh, um, a health issue and food being a source of decent employment and decent income generation. Those are some of the key um, things that we really uh, are expecting from the Food System Summit.
3: And maybe, Gilbert, as a good example, we have Ruramiso here who is on the farm, and they haven't had electricity for a couple of days, which is why you're in your car, Ruramiso. We're hoping we'll keep you on for the duration of this. What what do you think about smallholder farmers and and the community you serve of smallholders? Where do they fit into this big conversation about food systems and and what the summit is meant to tackle?
4: Okay, thank you for that question. So, um, you know, smallholder farmers produce uh, most of the food that's eaten on the continent, And for so long, um, people have forgotten the importance of smallholder farmers in terms of even when we talk about regenerative agriculture. So um, it's very important to put them in the middle of this dialogue to see how can we together produce food um, with using less um, energy, um, as well as making sure that we still feed the same amount of people. Smallholder farmers are also affected most by um, things like climate change. Um, We have been seeing the the earth is getting more and more warmer. And what sort of tools are out there to make sure that smallholder farmers can access them so that they're able to produce food um, sustainably. So uh, smallholder farmers really play a pivotal part in this discussion at the food summit.
3: Gilbert, when I think of food systems, I mean, naturally when you think of the idea of a big system, all the interconnected parts, maybe you think about large scale agriculture. Um, where, does, where do the smallholders actually fit into the future of the food system, from your perspective?
2: Um, first of all, as I said, we have to keep in mind that the small scale producers remain those that are producing most of the um, calorie intake uh, on that, yeah, that was very clear. And um, we know that uh, in low income countries, including in Africa and Asia, we know that more than 60 percent of the population remain rural. And the global poverty, 80% of poverty is in a rural area. So we know that the answer of lifting up people from poverty will come through how we deal with the small scale producers. So it's not, um, it is about, and it has to be about the small scale. Yes, it is also about the agribusiness, the commercial, the life scale, all of that are complementary. This is part of what we're trying to to, to do here. Identify how we can uh, create much more synergy between the small scale holders and the large producer being a market uh, for the small scale producers. And the other way around the innovation, the technology being made available and affordable for the small scale producers. So uh, as uh, Ramiso have said, we can ensure not only inclusion, but sustainability in their, in their uh, endeavors.
3: Yeah, IFAD, in fact, is leading the, one of the action tracks. There's five action tracks at the summit. You're leading action track four, which is advancing equitable livelihoods and value distribution, which is exactly what you, you just talked about. I wonder, Ruramiso, when you think about the idea of an equitable food system, what Gilbert and his colleagues at IFAD are trying to advance, what do you want to see come out of the summit to actually get us in, moving in that direction?
4: Okay, so what I would like to see um, come up a lot at this summit is the importance of uh, of smallholder farmers and how we can have action-based solutions. Um, for so long, we've discussed the challenges that smallholder are, are, are faced with, and we've also dis, um, discussed some solutions, but we haven't really had much action-based um, um, solutions. So if we can come out of this summit with action-based solutions on how exactly can we begin to to bring in um, smallholder farmers to the table uh, in terms of decision-making? How can we make sure that smallholder farmers are part of this um, dialogue on regenerative agriculture? How can we ensure that smallholder farmers are not left behind and not using traditional methods of farming? And and smallholder farmers are most affected by things like um, climate change. So we really need to, to... um, to focus on that and see what sort of methods are out there that we can support smallholder farmers to make sure that they are more climate resilient in the um, in this near future.
3: Gilbert, we asked our audience for questions and we had an interesting question that came from Sami Khan at the CDC Group, you know, one of the world's biggest development finance institutions. Sami directs strategy for the food and agribusiness sector and, and basically says they they've experienced that there aren't that many large-scale investment projects across Africa um, and in in the ag space and the food space, and some of the bigger players, including multinational corporations, are still hesitant to invest in the continent. And he's wondering: Is there anything we can do to catalyze some of these bigger players to get into the and include regional players into the food and agricultural projects in Africa at a larger scale, backed by DFIs like CDC, and to be more you know scalable and and integrated and and inclusive over the long term, including in including uh, smallholder farmers. What do you want to see happen out of the summit that maybe will help drive some of those larger-scale agricultural projects that include smallholders?
2: Um, uh, clearly, one of the uh, our expectation is really to have much more finance made available to um, the, the small-scale producers. So, um, uh, rural finance is clearly one of the key things that we are pushing for. As a matter of fact, together with uh, the Italian and the French, we really are pushing to really bring together all the public development bank so that together we can really have better synergy in financing agriculture for small scale to larger uh, uh, investment uh, um, investment needed for the uh, for, for that sector. In addition to the, um, to, the, to the finance is the technology, uh, as I was uh, referring to, we need the innovation to get down there to a small scale producers, so that they can improve their, um, their productivity and so that they can practice much more environmentally um, um, environment friendly agriculture um, practices, you know, ensure that the, we, we can reduce the food um, waste and loss and all um, the, the challenge we have throughout the value chain. So technology uh, innovation, is the, the second. To do that, we all just all have to work together.
3: Thank you, Gilbert. And Romiso, if you're still with us, and maybe she is not, I think we may have lost her. Um, so let me come to you, Gilbert, with one, with one additional question, and uh, we can see if she's able to rejoin us. What are some action steps that can be taken in this period? Like, what, what is your call to action to leaders, to the community? People are going to be part of this summit, um, including farmers and smallholders, to make sure that their voices are heard in this in this debate, that they push the summit in the right direction. What's your what's your call to action, Gilbert?
2: Uh, listen, the, in terms of uh, the voice, um, making sure the the rural community, the small scale holders' voice, I heard. I must admit that it is already happening. You know, as part of this process, the the, the UN special envoy secretariat, um, together with um, um, colleagues, including Ifat. We have been working very hard to create dialogues um, within country, national level, and from different countries. But what I want to mention here is the dialogue we are organizing within the farmers, the farmers organizations, the indigenous people, the youth, uh, to make sure, first of all, that their voice are heard in that process, which is one. Secondly, the call for action is really coming out of the summit, not simply. With a series of resolution or, or, or declaration, but with a concrete action plan. So I'm a, I'm aware of a different group proposing different action that will be implemented on post summit. So my call is this summit to be an action oriented um summit with a proper follow up and uh, and measurement of its success in in the year in the year year to come, and that's and different actions are different level from the not only for the all the tracks from the scientific community, the humanitarian side. Uh, you have the school feeding that WFP and others are initiating. Um, you have um, a series of business community initiative, initiate um, um, ways to uh, make sure that uh, that we can improve the availability of uh, seeds and and uh, fertilizers to, uh, to the small-scale producers. Something that is very, very close to my heart is the traceability uh, in, the, in the food industry. Um, I, I really will hope and calling for the leader to push to make sure that that coffee producer in, in, in Colombia or in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire, that they receive at the end of the day a minimum um, evidence-based living um, income to make sure that they can continue um, living decently from their uh, production of coffee, for example. So the- traceability- that should be
3: that should be possible today, right, Gilbert? I mean, with traceability, if you as a consumer know where you're buying your product from and you know where it's coming from, the whole chain, how people are treated along the way, that can be transformative.
2: That is, could be a transformative initiative. The traceability is one thing, but traceability linked to how much the coffee that you are paying in New York City at $5 or or, or $4, um, how much of it is going to that small scale coffee producer to start with? And we should be able to to have that part of the label for the consumer to know, um, um, for example. So I'm also really pushing in that direction.
0: That was Devex's editor-in-chief, Raj Kumar, talking to IFAD's president, Gilbert Humbu, and Ruramissur Mashumba from the Zimbabwe Farmers Union. Coming up now, we have food system champion, Arthurin Cousin.
1: You're listening to Farms Food Future with me, Miguel Tarán, joining you via Zoom from Madrid and also Brian Thompson in the studio in Rome. Etherin Cousin is one of the official champions of the UN's Food Systems Summit. She is also CEO and President of Food Systems for the Future and ex-head of the UN's World Food Programme. Ertherin
0: explained to me that for too many years, we've been working on a too focused a set of areas. What we need to do is look at the system overall. That means we need to develop a food systems approach to development.
5: We need to move from siloed thinking to systems thinking. When we talk to about uh, about agriculture, too often we talk about what's happening on the farm without without addressing the challenges that are so connected on the other side of that farmhouse gate that ensure the 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 logistics, the markets the consumer access and demand, as well as the circularity of that system to support the recycling and upcycling that's necessary to create the sustainability that we all desire.
0: Within the agricultural sector, what are some of the pragmatic and and the practical measures that could be put in place to help achieve this better functioning food system?
5: When we think about Agriculture and, and, particularly, when we think about farming, um, the 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 challenge is that the what is required at the local level, it's going to be very different from country to country. But what we do know is that we need more regenerative agriculture practices, whether that word describes multi-cropping, diverse cropping, more irrigation that is directly related to what the plant needs, as opposed to providing for broad scale uh, irrigation that detrimentally impacts the access to water. What it also requires is when we talk about regenerative agriculture, we also need to think about what are the best seeds um, as well as crop protection tools that are necessary to support the specific needs of the farmer on that piece of soil for him or her to increase the production of their yields to the maximum levels. We need to ensure that we provide access to new technologies, whether those technologies are in the ag tech space from a, um, a digital standpoint or in the ag tech space from a biological standpoint. The reality is we've seen dramatic opportunities beginning to come online for the advanced plant breeding that can provide an opportunity to increase the quality and quantity of yield that can add additional micronutrients into the plants that we cultivate and harvest today all of these kinds of new tools that um, are combined when combined with the production practices that protect our soil and the other natural resources including biodiversity and our and water are what are the tools and and the activities that are necessary to support that definition of sustainable agriculture that I talked
0: about. At the Food Systems Summit, what would you like to see being asked of governments for them to do better in the future?
5: What we really need from governments are policy frameworks that support the capacity for the implementation of the types of new tools that I've just described. We need to ensure that we have policy ecosystems at the national level that can be implemented at the local level, whether we're talking about uh, new policy frameworks that support equitable access to water or we're talking about new policy frameworks that allow for the access to and the utilization of new ag tech and food tech tools, particularly advanced breeding, plant breeding tools. We're also talking about we need governments that are investing in the the finances that are necessary to support the, whether it's the logistics, New, the roads that are necessary. Too often, we talk. We we we've identified the problem of farmers having the challenge of getting from the farm gate to the market. Uh, as an impediment to fully actualizing their ability to maximize the, the value of their harvest. We also, so we know we need that investment in logistics, but it's not just roads. It's also about ref- the, the support for refrigeration and storage at a community level that allows for particularly smallholder farmers to have the not only the availability but the affordability of the tools of, of, um, for, for post-production maintenance of their harvest. I will tell you a quick story. I was in Rwanda in a, in a village where I, I met with a woman farmer who had a storage facility for the beans that she had harvested some months before, and she was so proud when she took me into that storage facility and she told me this was her bank. This gave her the ability to pay her children's school fees long after she had harvested her her beans because she did not she was not required to sell them into the market at the time that she harvested it, and that's what we want for all farmers is the ability to manage the results of their labor to its full maximum value and potential.
1: That was Food Systems Summit champion, Etherin Cousin, talking to us from Berlin. Next up, we're speaking to IUCN about food systems that work for nature and people.
0: You're listening to Farms Food Future with me, Brian Thompson in Rome and Miguel Terran, joining us via Zoom from Madrid. Jonathan Davis is the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's global lead on agriculture. I asked him how best to balance investment in food security and biodiversity.
6: Certainly we can achieve a lot at the level of the farms and the farming landscape to promote more sustainable farming. And I think the, the, the best entry point right now for that is to focus on land health. Land health is a is something that farmers and and the agri agricultural sector in general is very uh, aware of. I think they're also aware that current practices are often degrading land health. Um, but also we've got a, an abundance of practices that can promote land health. You know uh, practices that improve soil biodiversity, improve overall um, soil health, but also the wider landscape health. The reason I think this is an important entry point is probably twofold. One, because it is something that I think everyone can agree on. You know, farmers are often acutely aware of the, the need to improve land health. In doing so, they know that they boost soil biodiversity and, and biodiversity within the landscape. And of course, then that becomes a conservation outcome, although Perhaps the conservation sector can do more to understand and to validate the conservation benefits from sustainable farming. But a second reason is also that by rehabilitating those landscapes, you start to restore the ecosystem functions there that not only only, uh, support more resilient farming, but also provide other benefits to society. So benefits in terms of improved water supply or water quality, climate change mitigation, and a whole bunch of other services that society enjoys.
0: Looking at IUCN's work right now, where is that
6: focused on
0: in relation to agriculture?
6: Right now, what we're trying to do is to steer the conversation towards um, finding the areas of consensus. By, we call it the common ground. We published a report in 2020 called Common Ground, where we started looking at the areas of consensus and common interest between the majority of agriculture actors and the majority of conservation actors. I think this is a really important direction to take because we've had decades of blaming the agriculture sector for biodiversity loss and focusing the conversation always on the most controversial, the most polemic issues, where it's going to be the most difficult to to reach agreement. And as a result of that, we've ignored areas of common concern where we can actually make quite rapid progress. So our focus right now is bringing together, through our members and other non-members, bringing together ministries of agriculture, ministries of environment, farmers, agribusinesses, and conservation actors, around this idea of common ground, around the idea that the land itself and the farming landscapes are a a common interest where we can make rapid progress by focusing on the things we agree on rather than getting distracted by the things we disagree on. And I think that creates a, a ladder, if you like, by addressing those kind of easy wins in the short term. I think it will then progressively make it easier to address the more controversial issues over time if there were one or
0: two tangible results that you could see come from the food system summit what would it be that you would like to see coming from the governments from the state actors who are taking part in this
6: i think the first thing is we need to lift agriculture out of a sort of sectoral rivalry where it often gets stagnated. Um, if sustainable agriculture is leading to or is generating benefits to society at large then agriculture is no longer just the responsibility of the ministry of agriculture and the agriculture sector it becomes everybody's concern and everybody it's we're talking about food nothing more important for for society at large so the food system summits a chance to lift the di- the, the conversation above that level and say okay we're looking at the common interest for everybody here. And that is, of course, focused on the food production itself, but also on the role that farmers play in in environmental stewardship. It's connecting the production level with the the wider food and agriculture system and trying to make it a conversation for everyone. That needs the highest level of of political leadership. Um, It can't just be left to ministers of agriculture. It's got to be at a higher level have the leadership to say actually we want to move the agriculture sector as a whole in many cases in a new direction that is of greater value to society
0: thanks to Jonathan Davis at IUCN. He also reminded me that until last year, the conservation world has been guided by the HE targets set by the UN's Convention on Biological Diversity. With agriculture one of the major causes of biodiversity loss, he says that it's key for the Food Systems Summit and the CBD Conference in October to do more to promote biodiversity conservation through agriculture. You can find the report Jonathan mentioned, the Common Ground Report, on the IUCN website. That's www.iucn.org. Please tune in to any of our 23 podcasts and around 200 reports from across the world of Farms
1: Food Future in episode 22 we heard about vertical farming and how regional integration helps rural communities develop in episode 21 martin frick of the un food system summit talked to us and in episode 20 we celebrated world environment day next month in episode 24 we'll have more on biodiversity and farming and today what do you get when you combine aquaponics and hydroponics You're listening to Farms, Food, Future. Jake Mortimer recently graduated from the UK's Royal Agricultural University, but he grew up on his family's farm near Lake Naivaja in Kenya. This is where he first saw hydroponic farming and geothermal power in action.
0: Put simply, hydroponics is a way to skip the soil, sub in a different material to support the roots of the plant, and grow crops directly in nutrient-rich water. Jake is now working on combining that with aquaponics. He told me more.
7: The real science behind the hydroponics is that you're using no soil and you're using usually using an aggregate such as clay balls or pumice to then um, grow the plants in to give them the structure of the soil, but you're feeding them the nutrients through nutrient-rich water to allow them to grow to the best of their ability. Um, and aquaponics is very similar. It's just uh, Marrying hydroponics with aquaculture, so you introduce a fish side of things, so rather than having to get synth- uh, synthetic fertilizers and things like that, you can just use the uh, the fish effluent to then feed your plants with the fertilizer
0: so you're you're developing a system now which is an an aquaponic system. Tell me a bit more about that and how you intend to where, where what's that designed for?
7: Yeah, so um, I've been developing this system over the last uh, nearly two years now. It all started when I was at uni at the Royal Agricultural University, um, and I was looking for new ways of basically doing farming because I thought that the traditional methods were not as efficient as we could maybe have them. Um so at the beginning of uni, I started building a small system just at my uh, in my uni house in the garden, um, and I was able to get some funding for that from the Douglas Bomford Trust, which was very helpful. Uh, and I developed a small system using an IBC container and chopping that in half, and then um, using one half to basically as a grow area, and the other half as a fish tank. Um, and I'm now developing that further into what I hope to become a business, um, and I'm Expanding that system with various different methods. In a perfect world, you can get you can grow the same amount in an aquaponics system as you would on ten times the amount of space that you'd need in a normal traditional system. So, uh, using very little space, you can grow quite a lot of vegetables or other plants or herbs or whatever you want to grow. Um, and the the most amazing thing about aquaponics is basically the vertical farming aspect of it. So. What I'm developing at the moment is, uh, yeah, but a way to basically introduce a vertical aspect to the farm. Uh, before it was just a single grow bed, which was using just a single amount of space, so it wasn't as as efficient as it could be. And at the moment, I'm I'm developing towers that are fed uh, via the fish tanks through pumps, um, which then feed the plants and then the water trickles down the towers and then returns to the fish tank so it's still a closed loop system and as sustainable as you can get really um and and the fish i mean and, and
0: this this is a way of actually farming the fish as well
7: yeah the fish are also part of it at the moment um i'm i'm focusing more on sort of the vegetables because the the fish aspect of it is quite well it's 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 difficult because there's, you're not just worrying about what's good for the plants, you've also got to worry about what's good for the the uh, the fish. But most importantly, you've actually got to worry about the nitrifying bacteria within the your uh, biofilter. So um, the way that the aquaponics works is the effluent of the fish is turned from nitrite, uh, well, from ammonia originally to then nitrite and then to nitrate. And the nitrate can then be taken up by the plants. And um, then, Yeah. uh, Basically, the plants will then clean the water for the fish. So it's very efficient. It's the systems work very well, but it's um, difficult to get everyone happy at the same time. You can't just go and put if you have an aphid, um, you know, an aphid outbreak, for example, you can't just go and put pesticides in it because then the pesticides could potentially kill the fish and vice versa with, you know, putting salt in the water to cure fish diseases and ailments. So it's uh, very difficult. But the, the fish can be farmed. Um, it's just about finding the right species of fish to to get the best returns uh, which at the moment we're sort of we are just looking at different fish we're looking at trout we're looking at maybe tilapia um, and yeah just trying to see what would work best for the market that we're in at the moment
0: thank you to jake mortimer for talking to us coming up we'll be talking digital and pork farming in china
1: You're listening to Farms, Food, Future with Brian Thompson in the studio in Rome and me, Miguel Turan, down the line from Madrid, Spain. For centuries, pork has been the most consumed meat in China. The average Chinese person eats about 30 kilograms of pork every year. Multiply that by 1.4 billion people and we have an idea of how much pork must be produced. Chinese pig
0: farmers might struggle to keep up, but technology can help them. Kayla Carvalho talked to Matteo Marchisio, who explained to us how a digital tracking system is helping small farmers improve the quality of their meat by allowing consumers to check the origin of what they consume.
8: Basically, the project introduced a digital tracking system that allowed the, the, the small pig herders in, in one county covered by the project to demonstrate that their meat. Uh, that meet the, the, the required quality standards uh, to penetrate uh, markets. and this system tracks uh, each package of bacon basically from from the farm to the supermarket shelf. Uh, the, the tracking system basically starts with, with the animal identification and is maintained through the entire production process uh, uh, until until the end. Each package of bacon is basically assigned with a digital ID that allow consumers to track it until consumption. How did it impact the production of Jamba County bacon by small scale farmers? Why was it helpful? Well, basically during the first year of operation, uh, the participating uh, uh, businesses and small enterprise and cooperatives were able to diversify their, their products uh, and demonstrate through the, through the, uh, through the tracking system the quality of audit, and, uh, and compliance with the quality standards. And this basically allowed them, uh, the smaller enterprises and the cooperative, to benefit from uh, uh, from uh, high market prices. All steps uh, in the bacon production process, uh, from breeding to procurement of raw materials, uh, to production, to processing, to packaging, uh, now use uh, the tracking system. Today, uh, Zemba County produces uh, 500 million tons of bacon per year that that uh, that is equivalent to uh, eight, 8 million US dollar uh, of, uh, of certified bacon so all that production in in zemba county is now certified and of course the benefits of uh, of that goes to to the rural households uh, and to the uh, to the cooperative members which as a matter of fact are our target group. Is it a technology that could be expanded to other places and animals? Um, Yes, uh, yes, certainly. Uh, Digital trustability can be expanded to other, basically all products... uh uh, or, or commodities it's not uh, only restrict to to bacon or or to to the pigs. as a matter of fact it can also cover processes not only products it can, can cover packaging delivering so it's uh, it's really a widely applicable uh, technologies today in China consumers are more and more concerned about uh, uh, food safety and demand more and more safe food safe products. And thus, they need a reliable system that they can trust. In, in many regards, China offers enormous opportunities for for this system for these technologies to, to expand. China is uh, is extremely advanced in uh, in digital uh, technology, in, di- in digital infrastructures. Uh, let's think to the you know five uh, G networks, uh, data data centers, artificial intelligence, too. So, I, I believe that uh, uh, that uh, in China this technology can be expanded uh, uh, to to other products, to other commodities uh, as well. Are there any other technologies set in place to make sure these small-scale farmers meet the quality standards? What are the next steps? The potential application of digital technologies to, to food and agriculture production, uh, I say production, but it's... Uh, uh, to, to the value to the entire uh, agri-food uh, uh, value chain are, are immense. Um, many, for instance, look at uh, blockchain technology, um, that is to say systems that uh, that record uh, in a secure way data about uh, food at every st- stage in, in the value chain. But also I'm thinking to you know the use of big data, of uh, cloud computing, these technologies can also be applied to ensure uh, uh, food uh, uh, food safety what i would say um, is that uh, if advanced projects uh, are probably the, uh, the ideal place uh, where to test those type of uh, of innovations so the value of our project is uh, precisely on uh, the innovative approach the innovative technologies that is piloted through 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 the project that is successful and not all the innovations that we introduce are necessarily successful, but if successful as in this case then uh, they have the potential to be replicated uh, uh, either in in, uh, in the country but but also uh, potentially outside china
1: that was matteo marchesio in china up next on u.s celebrity chef joining Ifa's recipes for change campaign
0: This is Farm's Food Future. Chef Roy Caceres grew up in Bogota, Colombia, but since 1993 he's been living in Italy, a country that, according to him, has won over both his heart and his palate.
1: Discovering the richness and variety of Italian cuisine encouraged him to open up the restaurant Metamorfosi in 2010, where he merged his Colombian roots with his taste for Italian cuisine or reporter Kayla Carvalho asked Chef Roy about his inspirations as a chef, the products he uses in his recipes, and how he hopes to contribute to EFAT's recipes for change.
9: The source of inspiration for me comes from many different elements. I think it's a way of seeing things. I love to be inspired by what I have experienced, by my memories as a child. I prepared a dish dedicated to my grandfather Solomon, who was of Syrian origin, from Syria, from Damascus, because he was the first one who made me try raw meat. When I was about four or five years old, he made me try kibbeh, which is like a fried beef dumpling, and he made me taste it before cooking it. I loved that flavor of the meat with the mint, with the onion. I loved it. And that, I had that engraved in my memory. So there can be many inspirations, they can come from anywhere. I think it all comes from a taste, from an emotion, from a feeling that you taste, from remembering a taste, a flavor, a moment. It can be an ingredient that you tasted, a dish that you tasted in another part of the world. So it's a memory, an emotion that you have inside of you and that you want to recreate.
4: Do you think that using local, seasonal and organic products makes a difference in the preparation of your dishes?
9: I think that the season of the product marks the apotheosis of that product. It gives the maximum splendor of its taste, of its flavor, and that's what I need. We use primarily seasonal products, and I like that. Although, there are times when I want to make something that connects to my roots, or a recipe that needs a product that's not from the territory, and I have to go and get it from a little further away. Well, I think that's manageable, and it's one thing I have to do to bring that emotion. But I pay a lot of attention to seasonal products because they provide the greatest apotheosis of taste above all. It's a little bit more natural, let's say. And the other part you've mentioned, whether they're organic or not, I love the fact that they're ecological because they're always following the natural track that's good for us. it's good that they don't have any product that they put into it to make it more beautiful, but less healthy. So yes, ecological, as much as possible. How important is the link between producers and cuisine? That is, the relationship between the farm and the table. Well, the relationship between the farm and the table and the restaurant is very important. If you know the product, if you know who makes the product, how hard it is to produce it, what the problems are when producing it, you appreciate it more. When you appreciate it more and you give more value to the table, you can work more regularly and also communicate. I think that in the kitchen, when we communicate with the product and the dish that we make with it, it then arrives at the table with a greater value, an added value. So it's crucial, the more we know the product, the more we know about the product, the better we can work with it and the better we can give it to our customers.
8: What are your expectations as a chef for Recipes for Change? For you, what does Recipes for Change mean?
9: I think that there's a synergy between what I can give with a recipe, or for example, by going to a place and talking to the growers who produce an ingredient, and what they can give me, which is a lot. I know stories and products, and the producers talk to me about authentic products made in Colombia and in many parts of the world, and I love that very much. That combination, that is a part of me. I'm a Colombian living in Italy for more than 20 years with half Eastern roots. My grandfather was Syrian, my grandmother was Spanish. So I'm the fruit of a great combination. This combination between different peoples, I love it. I love learning about new things. Recipes for change can give me a lot of that. And I can do my bit to help this project grow and become stronger and stronger.
1: Thank you to Chef Roy. You can find out more about our Chefs initiative and see more of Roy's future collaborations with us at wwwefadorg forward slash recipes for change. Now it's time for us to talk to the people at Too Good To Go. So how do you feel about becoming a waste warrior? or to be more precise, supporting sustainable circular food systems. And did you know it can all be done with the power of an application on your phone? Philip Schuler
0: is Global Impact Manager at Too Good To Go. The company started out in Copenhagen but now works across North America and Europe. Working with restaurants, by using the app you can play your part in saving waste food in your own neighbourhood. They also work with educational programmes in schools and are pushing on the advocacy front as well. Philippe told me that food waste in developed
10: countries is a serious problem. It is a massive, massive issue that we have in front of our hands. If you look at all the food that is currently produced around the world, one third of all of that is going to waste currently. And uh, of course, this has massive repercussions uh, across the globe, Um, not only financially speaking, so also you know when you're wasting food, you're also wasting money, but also... On the social aspect, as many people still go to bed hungry and we are still wasting a lot of food. And also environmentally speaking, uh, because as you can imagine, the amount of resources that go into producing food will then ultimately also be wasted when we're wasting food. And that has massive repercussions for the environment, but also for our climate um, more specifically. Tell me, what does your organization do in particular with the the, the food businesses? So when you're looking at um, more um, developed nations or higher income nations, such as in Europe or the US or Canada, where we are operating, is that uh, the vast majority of food is wasted at the very end of the supply chain. That means it is wasted in restaurants, hotels, supermarkets, and most importantly, also at home. Uh, And... This is extremely important to keep in mind because that's ultimately as well where we as a solution come in, um, where we basically try to ensure that all food surplus, so all the food that is left over at the end of the day within those food services doesn't go to waste and ultimately connecting them with consumers that are then ready to actually go and save that food on an active basis. And so what we do with food businesses is really giving them uh, um, through an app Uh, The kind of access they could not get usually towards that uh, food surplus and to be able to actually connect them to consumers that are willing to pay for this beautiful edible food, which is perfectly edible at the end of the day at a reduced price. What other areas are you focusing on other than the food businesses? So food businesses is, of course, our core, um, because ultimately that's where we can have the biggest direct impact in terms of um, reducing food waste directly. But ultimately, we also know that an app alone will not save uh, as much food as possible. You know, we know that uh, food waste needs a much bigger Approach, And ultimately, that's also why we decided as a business to also be building a movement against food waste. So, of course, the most direct impact is by providing this marketplace, this app uh, to to consumers and businesses. But what we're also doing is trying to make sure that we also communicate uh, towards consumers and trying to motivate them, uh, increase their consciousness, increase their awareness on the issue. And ultimately also given the right tools and tricks and tips to reduce as much food waste as possible at home as well. Because ultimately the vast majority is wasted at home and it's often down to habits or wrong behaviors where a lot of this food is going to waste. And that is something that we're doing on an active basis. So through our campaigns, initiatives, we try to do as much as possible to educate consumers on this. But also specifically also on younger generations, we know that uh, we want kids to also become aware of this issue and to also lead the way also for future generations to take this uh, issue seriously. So. Kids is an important aspect, consumers, but ultimately, you know, also businesses, you know, how can businesses as well, how can we work closer with businesses as well to communicate um, around food waste towards consumers and how we can also work together in also moving legislation and policymaking, because ultimately we need all segments of society. And that also means uh, politicians to also put in place the right policies, the right legislation so that less food goes to waste.
0: How simple
10: would you say is it for people to to get involved, to take part, to make a difference? For us, really, that's the premise of how we started with our business, is that we want to make it as simple as possible to take, an, uh, to take action against food waste. And ultimately, by just downloading our app, you're able to save food from going to waste in your neighborhood, whether it's from supermarkets, bakeries, etc. So there in itself you already become a waste warrior. You already become part of this movement to make sure that none of that food is ending up going to waste. So this is something on a very easy aspect you can do on a daily basis. But also I think it's all about also looking at ourselves in the mirror and trying to make a difference at home as well and to be as aware as possible and as conscious as possible to also not waste food at home and to really ensure that we freeze up all our leftovers that we don't Um, interpret date labels uh, in the wrong way. So this is also an initiative we are driving um, as well, is to also make sure to make people understand what is the difference between a use-by date and a best-before date, and really making people understand that they need to use their senses uh, when it comes to judging whether food is still edible or not. So it's all about these kind of things to keep in mind um, as we go about in our daily lives that we make sure that no food goes to waste as well.
0: That was Philippe Schuler at Too Good To Go, and his key message to the Food System Summit is we need to raise awareness on food waste issues and need to promote a sustainable circular system to make a better food system for the future. You can find out more at www.togoodtogo.com. Up next, we have the final part of our Rural Voices series. Over the last few episodes, we've been hearing from farmers and producers across the globe about the issues they face with their food systems and what they need to do to improve their livelihoods. We've been hearing directly from them about how they're affected by climate change, lack of access to markets, what they would like to tell world leaders and their hopes for
1: the future. In this episode, we hear from a dairy and rice farmer from Burundi, a beekeeper from Senegal and a fisherman from Djibouti. Let's start with Umiwana Oscar, a dairy and rice farmer from Ngozi province in Burundi. My name
11: is Umiwana Oscar. I am 41 years old. My day is filled with a lot of farming activities. I start my day by taking milk to the collection center to be sold. Now, I'm here to help maintain the irrigation channels in our rice field. Later, I will go and get fodder for my cows. There are many challenges farmers face. A farmer may have the goodwill to increase production and productivity, but they lack seeds, fertilizers, pesticides. Climate change is also a big problem here. Last season, we had very little rain. I hope to harvest eight tons of potatoes,
7: but I only harvested three. To
11: address climate change, we need to plant trees in our farms. Trees can mitigate the adverse effects of climate change. We therefore ask the government to send experts and make these plants available. We are the farmers who feed the world. It is a pity that farmers are not valued. Farmers should be a leader's priority so that we can maintain productivity. My hope is that my agriculture can flourish
7: so
0: I can cover the needs of my family. Back to our rural voices again. This time we're heading to Guinea to hear from farmer Mamadi Kamara Fomfo.
2: My name is Mamadi Kamara Fonfo,
11: an environmental engineer. I have a bachelor's degree in community development and a master's degree in sustainable development. I am the manager of the company Fonfo Agribusiness in Farana, which specializes in the production and marketing of agricultural products, particularly market garden produce. As in any business, there are difficulties. Today, the difficulties are relatively numerous. Firstly, we are in the off-season, and when we talk about the off-season, we talk about animals roaming around, which is a threat to our activity. Often loose animals come and break down our fences. We are operating on our own funds, and we have no support to help us make stronger fences. COVID-19 also affects us first and foremost in the framework of production.
9: When you speak
11: about production. production, you speak about inputs,
9: the acquisition of inputs.
11: There were difficulties because there were breaks in the input supply chain. Our crops cannot wait for us until COVID-19 is over. Input prices have also increased. This has had an impact on our margins. We are also beginning to see the impact of climate change. The water regime from the source where we get our water is now very difficult to pump to our fields. So you can see that our plants are suffering a bit of water stress. I appeal to the government to help young agricultural entrepreneurs because agriculture is a primary sector for any country that aspires to development. Importing agricultural products can help us, but if we boost local growth and local production, it is much more impactful for the country than importing. By helping young farmers, the state is also helping itself to develop. My ambition in the near future is to be a leader in the production and marketing of agricultural and poultry products in Farana and in the region. It is a shame for us youth, with all the potential there is, to see that the agricultural and market garden products come from other cities. I have the ambition to stop
1: the input of food in our region. And for our third and final verbal voice for this episode, let's head to Senegal and hear from beekeeper Bana Diouf.
12: My name is Bana Diouf. I am a beekeeper, president of the Beekeepers of Daru Salam Sere. COVID has damaged us a lot because COVID prevents meetings. This disease is said to be very contagious, and all the gatherings have been forbidden. But beekeeping, as we practice it, requires group and at that time it was not possible. If two or three of us were caught together, we would be reported to the authorities. But the project helped us a lot. They gave us boxes, outfits and equipment with which we could begin harvesting our honey. What we earned, we divided up, saving part of it into our bank account and using some of it for ourselves. We installed the hives in the mangrove by the sea so that the mangrove gets a bit more protection because whoever goes there to cut wood will risk getting stung. We also use part of the savings to reforest the mangrove, because we have to look after it very, very well. The honey that we produce, had we not protected the mangrove, would not exist. I want to tell our leaders to help us more to protect the environment, and in particular, the mangrove. It is our priority. It is from there, from the sea, that everything comes to us, not just our honey, but also the fish, shellfish, oysters, and so on, so we have to take care of it. Help us to better protect all this, the forest, even the trees and the bush, because without trees life is less beautiful and food will no longer be enough.
1: And if you want to hear and see more of our reports from Rural Voices, please go to EFAD's website, www.efad.org forward slash Rural Voices.
0: And that brings us to the end of this edition of Farms Food Future. Thanks to our producer, Francesco Manetti, our reporters, Michelle Porter and Kayla Carvalho, and everyone else who's worked on this programme. But most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories at www.ifad.org forward slash podcasts. Coming up with the UN's Convention on Biodiversity, COP15 in China, being held in October, we'll be looking in podcast 24 at all things biodiversity and agriculture
1: related. Remember, we want to hear from you. What do you think about all stories and issues discussed and who do you want us to be talking to? So please get in touch at podcast at and send us your voice or text messages to the address and we'll be happy to play you in the next show. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast platform and please rate us. We'll be back at the end of September with more news fresh from the
0: farm. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers.
1: Until then, from me, Brian Thompson. And from me, Miguel Turan, and the team here at IFAD, thanks for listening.